You're listening to The Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. Serious talk about the sacred book. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Bible for Normal People. Today, our topic is raising children in the faith. And I think this is going to be a good conversation. We're talking with Cindy Wong Brandt. She's a, an author, speaker, and fellow podcaster. Yeah. And she, she has this great book that came out, I guess, about a year ago. And um, I read it. I'm, I'm trying to think exactly when it came out, but I read it this past summer called Parenting Forward. And it's just a really great book, I think, for thinking differently about raising kids and differently than, you know, I think a lot of us in th- that have experienced the evangelical world, and again, I want to say that in a way that doesn't sound like bashing something, but it's just the reality of what it means to raise children in the evangelical world is oftentimes something that when people come of age, they wind up really struggling to work through some of the challenges of some ways of thinking about life and scripture and God and things like that. So Cindy has, you know, she has a her way of looking at that that will uh, not reproduce, I guess, those struggles in children. Yeah, and I was really excited about this because it's a question we get a lot, and it's a question I've uh, thought through a lot as a parent of how do we how do we raise children with with vibrant, healthy spiritual lives, but not having to go the same journey that I would have went through, which had a lot of pain and heartache and baggage and all these other things. How do we maybe go around that? And can we go around that? And I think that was a good conversation. Yeah, it was. And, and you know, Jared said it's something he's thought about, Cindy's thought about it. I've thought about it more after it was too late. <laughs> and it's not, I mean, my kids are wonderful. They're sorry, fine, guys. But, you know, so, <laughs> but I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, I wasn't conscious of it. That's the thing. I was, I was at a point in my life where I wasn't intentional about what am I actually doing here. It was just more like going along with the way it was understood, You would the things you would do with children spiritually when they're young that my children at various points in their life have have talked with me about how difficult it was to get past like certain issues of literalism that they were being taught in church. And so, you know, it's 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 a kind of consciousness that I wish I had had that Cindy has and that she's giving us here in this podcast that I wish I had had when I was say in my late 20s, you know, and when the kids were like really young. But, mm-hmm. but this, I have a granddaughter to experiment on now, so I'll just be exactly. doing that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's have this conversation with Cindy. Being a woman and a woman of color, eventually you're going to figure out that the system you're in is not really for you. I was going through thinking that, oh, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm being the godly woman that I am. And then I started realizing, oh, I'm kind of being treated differently because I don't have the right genitals and because of the color of my skin. And that was kind of what started my questioning the status quo. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud. The new web hosting plan from Bluehost, with 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. 
Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdosing can help you get into a relaxed, focused zone easier and stay there longer. It has benefits for workout recovery, sleep, anxiety relief, boosting creativity, and even pain relief. You know, Jared, I have a really good friend of mine who saw that I was taking microdose gummies and she said, can I try some? And so I gave her some of the sativa strand and she said it has made such a difference for her at work and just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normalpeople. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normalpeople for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code normalpeople. Welcome, Cindy, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, we want to start with uh, just some of your background and just, you know, how did you grow up in the faith and and maybe more particularly, how was the Bible taught to you as a child? Sure. I was. I tell people I grew up evangelical, but I was actually born into a non-religious home. And I, um, I was born in Taiwan, born and raised in Taiwan. But um, my parents sent me to a Western school, an American school that was founded by missionaries. So... By the age of 10, 11, I was in sixth grade. Um, I attended a conservative evangelical school run by missionaries. And so I became a Christian there. I was given the whole, you know, believe in Jesus, pray the prayer, or you're going to hell. (laughs) And so from then on, I really became committed to the evangelical faith. So that was how I was raised from about sixth grade on. And then I went to Wheaton College, which, as many of you may know, is kind of, you know, the Harvard of evangelicalism. And I went to seminary at Fuller. So I really kind of maintained this path of evangelicalism. But I've since deconstructed and I call myself an ex-evangelical or any number of other terms, (laughs) progressive, post, (laughs) post post-evangelical. And so now I'm kind of I'm not sure where I'm at right now, but just on the left side of things. <laughs> so th- you're not really into labeling yourself really at this point. You're no. just on this path and you're you're totally comfortable just being what you are right now. Yeah, I I yeah. think any I think those of us who have done a lot of evolving faith, right? Like we know what's the point? <laughs> it's just going to change. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, yeah. why make your bed? You know, you're just yeah, going to make exactly. it anyway. Right? Okay, got it. Yeah. And um, and I think also, like, as a public person, it, it feels like if you announce anything, you just get labeled. Right. And I, I want to, I don't feel like I owe people my faith identity. Well, yeah, you don't. Um, right. Exactly. So, yeah. but. As much as they might clamor for it. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah, and and yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter what you say anyway. People are going to have their opinions. So people, if I say I'm right. a Christian, people will say, oh, no, you're not a Christian. Um, yeah. And so whatever. 
<laughs> well, so Cindy, okay, so you were raised then sort of not, I mean, as uh, evangelical in America, and mm-hmm. you learned all that stuff. But then you mentioned a process of deconstruction. Like, what were like maybe one or two things that triggered that for you? Right. I think being a woman and a woman of color. That'll do it. <laughs> Eventually, right. you're going to figure out that the system you're in is not really for you. Um, I wouldn't have had the language to say that about my own experience, but looking back, that's what happened, right? Like I was going through thinking that, oh, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm being the godly woman that I am. And then, and then I started realizing, oh, I'm kind of being treated differently because I, you know, don't have the right genitals and I'm being treated differently because of the color of my skin. And that was kind of what started, I think, my questioning uh, the status quo. But then also, sometimes I think it's funny because I went to Wheaton, which is kind of known for its like academic rigor and critical thinking. And yeah, I I had a brain and (laughs) I started thinking about... You actually did what they want you to do, you know, (laughs) right. And then it all falls apart. I'm not sure they'd be happy about where I took things, but yes. (laughs) Yeah, so it's just critical thinking and figuring out that, oh, I don't know what I think about this and, and following my curiosities to to its conclusion sometimes, you know, not being afraid of the slippery slope. And also, I think I did the bulk of my deconstruction sort of in the late 2000s where blogging started being a thing. And like so many other people, I was led by a lot of people like Rachel Help Evans, who were saying the things that I was thinking anyway, putting words to it, and then going down that path of questioning. There's a question here, not to dive too heavy right into our topic, but you know, your story of, of not wanting to label and also kind of, yeah, it just changes as it goes. I feel like as adults, you get to a place where you're comfortable with that level of ambiguity and yeah. uh, uncertainty, but then you have kids right. who tend to be more black and white or need this structure. And so what was some of the process you went through with your own kids as they started maybe getting old enough to understand things and was that a challenge for you and how to, to talk to them about faith? Not at first, because when my kids were born, I was still very much solidly in that system. And so I just did what I've always done, which is what I was told to do, right? I did the Bible verses. We read like, I had like this book of catechisms that I read, read to them before bedtime. We did the Christmas tree, you know, like the Jesse tree, all these different traditions. I just kind of copied whatever other Christian parents. What's a Jesse tree? I never heard of a Jesse tree, literally. Oh, it's it's actually, yeah, it's kind of cool where you have 25 ornaments and each ornament symbolizes um, kind of a path of the biblical story. It's actually not that fundamentalist. It's it's a nice way to tell the story, the the Bible story. Yeah, we've done it a few years with our kids. We've had chocolate in a calendar. They open the door. Oh, that's old school. That's <laughs> German. That's so cool. But it tastes good. Anyway, Just a tree. Not, not to interrupt, Cindy. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, no, at first it wasn't difficult at all. I think it was when my own faith started going through a crisis that I began to, not only was I questioning my own faith, I was questioning what I wanted to do for my kids. And yeah, it was hard. And that's why I kind of started this community that I started on Facebook called Raising Children on Fundamentalists. 
it all started just with me saying, well, what the heck am I supposed to do when I'm questioning my own faith? And then my kids are neat. They're, they're in that phase of faith building, faith fusing when I'm in the phase of faith deconstruction, right? So how do we, how do we deal with that at parallel at the same time? Um, so that was the question I was grappling and thinking about. Yeah. And yeah, I've learned a lot through being in community with other people and how other parents are handling it and figuring out for myself. So, well, and, and you know, you've uh, been thinking about this stuff for a while. I mean, the a question I get an awful lot is exactly the question you just uttered, which is, "What do I do? I'm having this great time rethinking my faith and deconstructing. I don't know what to do with my kids." And they ask me. And I just say, go read Cindy's book because, you know, yeah. I don't – I have not thought about it at that – I mean, I've thought about it but not really existentially. Right. Because these thoughts came to me when my youngest was like 18. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it, like my kids were into their 20s in college. It was a different kind of time. But, um, I mean, you, you've – written this book parenting forward which it really is is of such a such a good resource mm-hmm. Cindy. i mean it's just it's such a good way i've passed you. this on to a number of people but um you're the expert here okay this is what's happening there's a couple of things i would say to parents who find themselves okay. <laughs> in this situation <laughs> yeah um right. so first of all you have to understand that those of us who are going through deconstruction or have are going through a faith crisis we have a lot of baggage mm-hmm. right we have this baggage of you know the things that we learn from fundamentalism or evangelicalism we have like the biblical literalism, all these baggage that we have so that when we encounter spiritual truths or any religious language, sometimes it triggers that baggage. And so when our kids are learning these things from Sunday school or from you know, the wider culture or from whatever, we can be tempted to project our baggage onto them. And the thing that I would say is that we have to understand that. We have to be aware of our own baggage mm. and understand that our children are not us. They are learning. Um, they're, you know, not a total blank slate, but they are learning all these things for the first time. They haven't yet gone through some of the spiritual trauma that maybe a lot of us have gone through. And so to kind of balance that. Um, and then some people think that children need to have a container. This is actually Richard Rohr's language, like a first container, like they need to learn what it is about faith first and then deconstruct it. I don't love that idea because it just kind of sounds like you have to repeat your own path with your children. Like you mm. have to get them to learn faith a certain way and then so that they can grow up and deconstruct it. And I'm like, no, that's the, the opposite of what we're trying to do. What we want to do is to not give them that trauma, <laughs> right? Like we want to break the cycle of spiritual trauma in our lives so that they don't have to go through that. This is not to say that they're not going to learn and grow and go through that differentiation process of like owning whatever faith they have for themselves. Like that's still a normal developmental process um, as a human and as a spiritual being. Yes. But we don't have to traumatize them. Right in that process, mm-hmm. you, you, I, I think, <laughs> um, I could be wrong, <laughs> but I think that it is possible to raise a spiritual child 
through the stages of even those like questioning and you know fusing and questioning and rebuilding, you can do that without trauma. Yeah, and that's almost a new thing for people to hear. I think because the like. What other tools do we have other than almost to even subconsciously reproduce our own experience in our children? But that's not a healthy thing you're saying. You have right. to know yourself well enough not to do that. That I mean, that is – that is I, I, you know this. This is, this is new. Mm-hmm. Right? This is a new way for a lot of people to think about it. Well, that. I mean, I've been learning from a lot of like liberal traditions that they, they were raised in church and they were raised with religion and they're not traumatized. And when I first started hearing stories like this, I was mind blown. I was like, you were raised like knowing about Jesus and, and go to church and do liturgy and, but you don't have any trauma. You don't have any baggage <laughs> like yeah. you are spiritually healthy and and that that got me thinking okay well how how did you do it <laughs> how mm-hmm. did you raise your children and most of the time it's the same you know it's actually kind of common says you give your child autonomy let them question give them critical thinking skills um don't put kind of doctrine above their well-being these kinds of things that it was just new to me given the environment that I grew up in right. the one thing though that a lot of people who were raised in progressive traditions will tell me was that they didn't, you know, this is relevant to this podcast, that they didn't know the Bible very well. Right. And they actually feel bad about it. They're like, I wish, I wish I knew the Bible like evangelicals do. Yeah. So the Bible, I mean, not to put words in your mouth, I'm not trying to be needlessly provocative, but the Bible can be a problem, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so so let me let's yeah. shift to that. Let's talk about this because you know most of us were. I was not raised this way by my parents, but I was raised this way in an evangelical culture that you mm-hmm. read your Bible with the children with your children every day. And right. I remember having a discussion with a young father once who's got had like three young kids, and he was really very proud of the fact they're working through Deuteronomy. With six year, and I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, let me know how that works out for you. And but you know, it's a, yeah. that's the mentality. But you know, I, I think in a way, dealing with that scriptural tradition is the hard part. I, I, I mean, in my opinion, and I know that you've mm-hmm. thought a lot about that. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe can you reflect a little bit on, you know, like how much should we teach our children about the Bible? And that's like a a heretical thing to ask in some communities. But I wish I had asked myself that question when my youngest was three and four years old. Yeah. You know, so what do you think about that? I think there's a spectrum, right? Um, I I think about people who have been, again, traumatized by scripture. So like LGBTQ people who have been clobbered by the verses in the Bible. And I think it's a lot to ask people to read the Bible every day with their children when they've been traumatized by those very words. Um, and so for people like that, I would say it's, you don't have to, you don't have to raise your children um, with something that's so painful for you. There's, there's a lot of ways to raise a spiritual child and even a Christian child without involving the Bible so much. And again, yes, I understand this is very heretical to say, but I, I really believe that. When the children get older, they can explore the Bible for themselves, right? Like it's not too late. And so I would say, well, you don't have to. 
Now, having given people that freedom, <laughs> I also want to say that if you do, it can be a beautiful thing. Like it can be a wonderful thing because the Bible is, it can, it's an instrument of pain, but it's also an instrument of liberation. And it has really fun stories, right? The stories are, are diverse and they're gritty and they're exciting. When you were asking me about my, the way I grew up, I wanted to say that before I went into that conservative evangelical school, um, my parents actually sent me to an Anglican school. And I was, that was the first time I was exposed to the Bible. And I still remember I was in fourth grade falling in love with the story of Esther. Mm. And I just remember that that's, some, you know, it's kind of fuzzy, but I remember I read it over and over again and I fell in love with it. And I had no other teachings. I, had, I didn't go to Sunday school. I didn't know anything else about Jesus or Christianity or anything like that. But I loved Esther because it was like a fun story. And now, like after all that I've been through, I look back to that time and I think, of course I loved it. Like I'm a strong woman and I love bucking against the status quo. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like that was in me as a child. Um, and I resonated with something that was powerful in that story. And so I think that introducing the Bible to kids, yeah, it can be, it can be a wonderful thing. Now I have lots of caveats because there's a lot of violence and in the Bible. So you do also have to know your children's temperament. Like if your children is very sensitive to say, you know, cutting off heads, shedding foreskins, that kind of stuff, <laughs> um, <laughs> then you have to filter. And, and that's the thing, like everyone filters. Um, it's okay to pick and choose, <laughs> you know, pick yeah. and choose the, the stories that you want to share with your children. Um, and honestly, I feel like a lot of parents, they just They just pick the stories that's been published into a children's Bible or like has been made into a Veggie Tales, you know, yeah. show to, to teach that they're, they're being, uh, they're picking and choosing, but kind of allowing the gatekeepers of Christian publishing to pick and choose for them. And that's fine. I get it. The resources are out there and it's easier. But that's a great point because there is always picking and choosing going on. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's right. just who's going to do it and, and on what basis are you going to make those Yeah. Choices? It's interesting that your friend picked Deuteronomy, though. <laughs> it's unusual. <laughs> well, that's our, a little bit of our background for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Alas. <laughs> A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary, where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning, residential, online, and hybrid. You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for All People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener to the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at 
upsem.edu. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes in and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just call them bushes. But we got them in last night. And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point. It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you're in fifth grade, which is the exact instruction <laughs> level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We loved the process. This spring, they have their best deals online up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. So uh, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, it's not when we talk about, and this has been my experience with our kids, it's, it's actually not as much uh, what you know, what we're reading in the Bible or what we're talking about. It's really the weight or the emotional heaviness that we bring to it that can be a real challenge of, it's not really that we're talking about the story. It's about what's the pressures or expectations that I'm getting from my parents mm. about what I'm yeah. supposed to do with this information. Would that be fair to yeah. say? That's fair to say, but that's fair to say of everything in parenting. Mm -hmm. I often talk about the deserted island analogy when you are parenting your child, picture yourself on a deserted island. Would you still parent your child the same way? And it's just a way to become aware of how much you're parenting according to the expectations of the community. Mm -hmm. Not to say that it's a bad thing. We're raising our children in community, so we do have to teach them some of that. But I think being able to kind of imagine yourself on that deserted island helps to discern, okay, this is just me wanting to please the, the people in my community, or this is actually what I care about to give to my child, just between me and my child. So I think with the Bible, it's, it's the same thing. If you were on a deserted island, how would you teach your child the Bible? If you didn't have any expectations from the community that you're in. I think that's, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of what would I do? <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah, I'm actually but, doing the exercise in my head, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it is an abstraction, but, mm -hmm. you know, what would we do if we didn't have those expectations? Yeah. Well, I mean, right. you know, one thing that, that we do, I want to just test this with you. I've I really come to appreciate the word that comes to mind a lot for us is provisional. Uh, that this yeah. is, you know, that we, we give a broader context. You know, we have kids, our kids ask us all the time, like, well, what, what do you believe about this? Or what, they don't think of it that way. They actually say, what's true about this? You know, did this really happen? Or what happens mm -hmm. when you die? That's a big one at our house. And yeah. my, my wife gets really afraid because uh, they, you know, now know about like reincarnation and they... My wife thinks that means my five-year-old's going to, like, go. My, my five-year-old thinks of it like a video game. So if, 
he goes out and gets mm-hmm. hit by a car, he can just like respawn. Um, and yeah. my wife's like really afraid of that belief. Like, no, don't, you can't, that's not how it works. You don't, don't go play yeah. in traffic. Um, but this idea of, uh, you know, what we often do is set it in a larger context and make mm-hmm. it personal or maybe even subjective of saying, mm-hmm. uh, lots of people believe a lot of different things. And, you know, yeah. it, we, we situate our Christian belief in a broader context which would have right. never occurred to my parents to do. It's sort of like we're afraid of choice and we're afraid of diversity. So we kind of want to mm-hmm. shelter people from other beliefs. But I think that can do some damage. What do you think about that? I think I talk about spiritual child protection. Uh, we have child protection policies for children. Like we have to have two adults in the same room with a child or cameras or whatever. We have all these policies to protect a child from like physical um, harm, but we don't have spiritual child protection policies. And I think we should. And one of the things that I think to do is to not keep your child in an ideological bubble. And a, a lot of people are afraid of confusing children, which mm-hmm. I find ludicrous because children, they love fairy tales, right? Their imagination is so much more um, wild and um, fantastical than than ours and we think we're confusing them like they they believe in unicorns right (laughs) (laughs) so we don't be afraid that you're going to confuse your children let them know that there are lots of different viewpoints and and i mean from the time that they start going to school if you're sending your child to school they're being exposed to all these different kinds of families so i don't really understand it's not even possible to shelter children unless you live in a bunker so why not like open up conversations and talk about and and you know the more that you can tell your child that other people believe this other way the more you actually have the confidence to say but this is what i believe mm-hmm. you know and the more that you give your child freedom to say and you get to decide what you believe i think that's a beautiful thing it's like we we want to um honor and respect other people i think this is a very important tool for our children to live in a pluralist society so start when they're young (laughs) you know teach them about other viewpoints teach them how you and your partner um, and your relatives are different and and then hopefully i think this gives them the freedom to feel like they can have their own ideas as well Hey everyone, my name is Brock Beasley and I'm part of the producers group here at the Bible for Normal People. This podcast is brought to you by supporters on the Patreon platform. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be part of the group that brings this podcast to normal people everywhere. And as a thanks for your support, there are lots of videos from Pete and Jared, a discussion group, and other rewards. So check it out at patreon.com forward slash the Bible for Normal People. One thing I appreciate about being part of the Patreon group is that it gives me the opportunity to learn and grow intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, as well as connect with other individuals who are on a journey very similar to the one that I'm on. If you're not able to support the show financially, don't worry. You can go to iTunes and rate and review the podcast. That can go a long way to help others find us. And not leaving out our Android fans out there, you can download the podcast and listen to it on Android platform without any problems. One group in particular we want to thank is our producers group who truly helped the podcast improve and make it what it is today. Thank you to Michelle Snyder, John Bruss, Sean Phillips, Britt Miracle, Dorsey Marshall, Scott Goldman, Esther Getz, and Trevor Bierick. The Bible for Normal People couldn't happen without you. Now, back to the podcast. 
At what point, Cindy, do you think – and I'm going to guess you're probably going to say it depends on the child, but Uh again, I'm channeling here things that I probably have felt raising children and what other people have uttered. But like at what point is it, quote, okay to give them the choice or to let them know that the choice is actually theirs to decide what they want to believe because, you know, maybe younger kids – I don't know, a four-year-old? An eight-year-old? I mean, you know, like when – when is like a developmental stage? That's really what I'm asking. Like when are they at a place where that would even make sense for them? What What does your experience tell you? I, I think we should be letting our children have a choice from as young as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, as young as – you know, when they're two years old and they're trying to decide they're, and they give them choices like what food do you want, which shoes – I mean, maybe not too many choices to overwhelm them, but – do you want the red shoes or the blue shoes? Like mm-hmm. giving them those choices, you're helping them exercise consent and honoring that they get to choose. Um, and when it comes to faith, like I think we should always say they have a choice. But the thing is, children, they do need some security and boundaries and belonging. Um, yeah. And I think that's the key. So we can say, that if you are Christians, you can say, you know, this is what your dad and I, or, you know, my partner and I, we, this is our faith, this is our tradition, and listen, you belong, and you can have access to everything that we have in our spiritual tradition, and you are a part of us. And I think that gives them that sense of security and belonging, but you can, I I would always leave um, a path for them to say, if you choose something else when you grow up, that's fine. That's your choice to make. Or if you want to choose to stay, you know, to, to stay in this tradition, then that's great too. I think a lot, growing up evangelical, I know a lot of people, they said that, but they always, the underlying thing was, oh, but we would actually be much happier if you chose our tradition. Well, they'd be, I mean, I, again, I, I'm, I'm not looking down on anyone. I've experienced this. You're scared to death mm. if they actually take you up on that. Uh, you know, that's right. and, and that's that's a hard thing for people because it's yeah. that's why I think, like you said, way at the beginning, Cindy, I think it was a very important point. It's about knowing yourself, too, right. and going through your own process and like asking yourself the way I've asked myself, OK, what am I actually afraid of? Mm. Am I afraid of right. what it looks like? Am I what am, what am I really at the end of the day truly afraid of? And yeah. that's an important question for parents to ask themselves, but that doesn't happen unless they see the need to be, to use the trite phrase, on a journey of faith. That, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I mean, again, this isn't bashing bad parenting or anything, but it's that model of journey is not one that is really popular in some Christian circles, maybe in an evangelical context. It's more mm-hmm. shoring up, you know, the fortress kind of thing. And yeah. And, um, but you're saying that's act- is that mentality will cause – will promote the need to deconstruct at a later point in time for the children. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think – I think – I don't know. We ha- we, I think we have to honor our children's spiritual autonomy. But that's a really good point. I think, yeah, evangelicals do tend to think of like the first 18 years of a child's life as you want to like arm them. And they actually use this terminology, right? You want to arm them with, with as much – foundation and and weapons to 
when they go out into the world and see that's that binary of like the world is scary, you know, the family is safe. That's that's not a healthy model because it's not really true. <laughs> um, right. And I think if we want to parent our children um, in a way that is spiritually healthy, we have to think of the the time that they spend in our home as a launching pad, right? They are given um, tools to um, be spiritually vibrant. And then when they go out into the world, they can be even more curious and they can explore and discover and grow in a way that's intrinsic to themselves. I think that's a much healthier model. Well, as we're talking, it strikes me as an, an irony I had never thought of. But the sense that, you know, one of the big things for me growing up would have been, uh, you know, when we talk about sin or other things, we say, well, well, God, you know, respects our autonomy. God respects our free will and we have choice. Mm. And mm. then in the flip side of that, though, as parents, in that tradition for me, there wasn't a lot of autonomy or choice or freedom. That wasn't mm-hmm. actually something that was valued. And so yeah. it, it just strikes me as that irony where, well, it's good enough for God, but, you know, we have tougher standards around here. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I never thought about that. So it's just something to reflect on of what are we saying about God and how are we reflecting that in our own parenting and being that image bearer of someone who really wants these young people to have their own mind and have free will and have autonomy and to really flourish in their own way. And how do we not coerce and how do we not let our fear to Pete's point, our own fear and what you were saying about our projections get in the way of this young person's flourishing in their own way. I think a lot of parents are driven by fear. And if you are trying to control your children in any way, it's probably because that's the way you were treated. You have been in a system that is controlling. (laughs) And so that's kind of Mm -hmm. just the only way that they know how to parent. So it's that self-work, that inner self-work that you have to do if you want to do better by your children. If you don't want your children to be controlled the way you were, then you have to kind of address the fears that you have in you. And and I don't say this lightly, like, I don't say this like, get over yourselves and do better by your kids, you know, because I know how hard it is to kind of extricate yourself from that fear. So, yeah, I just want to encourage parents to be to be brave about confronting those fears. I think Elizabeth Gilbert says we don't we don't ignore fear. Fear is part of us. Fear is what keeps parents from making sure their children are safe. And so we should include fear in our lives, but we don't let it make the decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, we we uh, ask their opinion. <laughs> we ask fear's opinions, but we get to make the final one. <laughs> so coming back to coming back to the Bible and how we practically connect this with our kids, is there a place that you would recommend parents start if they're saying, you know, I've been in this kind of deconstructed phase and I'm in a new place in my own faith. I'm not sure where the Bible fits, but I do. I do want my kids to grow up reading the Bible. How would you suggest the a parent start? I think it's just like everyone else. Just pick up a children's Bible and just start reading. Or, you know, go back to the oral tradition. <laughs> Tell the Bible stories the way that you know it and put your interpretation on it and just tell your kids the story that way. 
I think that could be an interesting exercise <laughs> because it will also kind of reveal your own hermeneutical lens, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think you just start sharing the stories um, that mean a lot. So for me, like I loved Esther. So that's one thing I think that I, I mean, my kids are grown are older now, but if they were young, I think I would start there. I think it's a great place to start when it comes to sharing faith is to share what is important and valuable to you, right? Um, instead of what you th- what's important and valuable you think the system thinks is important. <laughs> Does that make sense? Oh, um, yeah. Start with your personal story. But what, I mean, do you think there are ba- what like parts of the Bible that you might want to avoid with children? Like, I mean, not just to go anywhere. Yeah. Right. And there might be things that I really value, but I might value them from like, I didn't have your experience when you were um, in fourth grade, right? Reading Mm -hmm. Esther. I didn't have that. I didn't have any of those experiences. But a lot of the stuff that jazzes me is like, yeah, I'm not really sure how I can even talk to a child about story X, Y, or Z. So are there any, like, which, what stories are, are they? What are the story that excites you that you don't think you can talk to like your grandchild? Um, the faith crisis that Kohelet is having in Ecclesiastes values what I do. <laughs> you know, it's it's I things think, like see, that. See, I think you can. I think okay. I think we underestimate what children can understand, even right, very young children, yeah. because you know, okay, you 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 have to translate it in a way a child can understand. Right. But you're like, oh, you know, this person faces a really tough choice, and they're changing their mind on something, and they're like yeah. having this struggle. Toddlers know struggle. They struggle with their parents every single day, hmm. you know? So there are, I think, always ways you can talk to children. I think a lot of times we think ta- teaching children the Bible means we have to dumb it down or we have yeah. to make it less interesting. It's like, yeah. no, you know, children understand struggle. They understand excitement and plot and, and climax. And they know all those things and they love it. So tell them. I would say, you know, our our daughter also has a pretty good boundaries of like where she, if she doesn't understand, she has this phrase where, of course, she's eight and kind of sassy. She says, "Yeah, and that's I a great place no to chime in and say, me neither." <laughs> and so, like, that's helpful. That's great. Yeah, and that's that's great. Like, if I'm trying to explain something uh, from the Bible or anything in life, and she says she looks at me blankly and says, "I have no idea what you're talking about," then I know, like, <laughs> oh, okay, well, we, maybe we should just drop it, or yeah. maybe we'll try again later, or maybe I'll try it in a different way. Or so, also just respecting that these young people also they have a, their own voice, right. and if you're over, if if they're confused, it's not like they're just going to crumble. At least you know my kids, they they'll say, "Hey, I'm confused. Like I have no idea what you're talking about," and then that's great. That's still part yeah. of the conversation. They miss the point of what you're trying right. to say. Yeah. So you tell the story with a certain point and they told him, and, but then let them mm-hmm. run with their point. Yeah. You know, just like, because that's what we all do when we come to a story, right? How many times have we read like a novel or a nonfiction book and we take away with it something the author never intended for us to take away? That's what we do. And so let the kids right. miss the point and just run with whatever point that they saw in it. And, and I would also say that children, They'll say, I have no idea and I don't care what you're talking about. I mean, I have a teenage daughter, so she's, you know, she, she rolls her eyes at me a whole mm-hmm. lot, but I know it's going in. I know she's listening and like two years down the road, she'll come back and tell me, you know, that you said right. this thing and I remember it. So, th- so there's that. Yeah, too. what they say is not always what's going on deep inside. 
right? These kids. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, just not to push you too much, Yosemite, but like, I, I don't think I'm going to open up Joshua with my eight year old, you know, and mm-hmm. talk about the Canaanite yeah. conquest and say things like, yeah, I'm really struggling with this perception of God that commands, right. you know, to, to, because I mean, I don't think that happened historically. I think that's part of, the ideology of biblical writers from the Iron Age. But I just feel like I need to avoid that, right? Yeah. So my friend Anna Skase, she says that the Bible isn't a children's yeah. book. And it's not. It's not a children's book. It was written for, ad- well, you, you can tell me who it's written for, but not I think children. it was not written for children. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so, so, yeah, I think it's important to remember that. I'm just thinking of, like people who want the Bible to be a part of a child's life, then then I think it's okay that there are ways that you can do it. But yeah, if you feel like your child is too sensitive to a lot of the themes um, or they're not ready to explore that, then then I think, again, like I said, you pick and choose the things that you think are more appropriate for children. And also, it's important to remember there's there's a lot of children's books, books that are written for children that share values that, that you may, you know, and even spiritual truths that you may want to teach your children. And I think it's okay to use those books as well. Like, you don't have to just think the Bible, the Bible's not the only source. Oh, so I heard um, on Richard Rohr's podcast, they had a podcast on parenting, um, and the co-host said that they sing the song, Jesus Loves Me, This mm-hmm. I Know. But instead of saying, for the Bible tells yeah. me so, they, they uh substitute or they mix it they mix out they use different words for the bible so for my grandparents Uh. tell me so oh for you know whatever it is and i thought that was really beautiful because it kind of shows that you can teach about jesus's love in more ways it's not just the bible that tells you so right in fact it's more often not you know, I mean, because we don't like it's. It is the contacts we have as children. You know, parents, grandparents, right. the love around us. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and I, yeah, I love that. I, idea. I think you know that's what I'm. I'm kind of gathering just from everything that you're saying is kind of these themes of learning to trust that Jesus and Christianity and your spiritual life is bigger than the Bible, and so there are multiple ways mm-hmm. of contact yes. for kids that just because you aren't reading the Bible every day really doesn't mean that they're not grasping spiritual truths and values. And, and Oh my goodness, yeah. There's so much, I mean, the nature. Mm-hmm. There's so much out in the world that, um, yeah, that they can experience love and belonging, acceptance and, and kindness and, and all those things that every parent, I think, wants for their children. But if they do, if they do, you know, if you do want to find it in the Bible, that there are ways, as long as you can be really mindful of maybe your own baggage and projections of some of that that uh, mm-hmm. trauma that you've experienced or just some of the bad experiences that you've had and making sure you're not imposing those um, or maybe overly sensitive right. as with your kids. And I think what's really important to me is letting a child into the interpretive task um, of, of reading the Bible. So when you do read the Bible with your children or share stories, really make a lot of space for them to put their spin on it. And I think that's one way that it will reveal your bias because, or reveal your context. Because when your child sees something totally different in the story that you see, you realize, oh, I see it this way because I was taught to read it this way. But here, my five-year-old has never been exposed to that, and they see this. So 
this is what's wonderful about having children. They kind of um, reveal your baggage um, and show how contextualized actually your view of the Bible or faith or anything else is. Yeah, so I think when when we do share these stories with the kids to to then get into that dance with them. So say, oh, this is what I, you know, this is what I think about this story. What do you think? And then they bring their perspective and then, and then, you know, build off that, like talk about it and discuss it and, and find new interpretations. Like that's what reading the Bible should be about, right? Well, it's always been about that. That's the thing. I mean, that's what yeah. the church and Jews have done. It's, it's there, there are, there are <laughs> multiple interpretations to the Bible. So I think we should include children in that. Right. That's an interesting point, you know, to include the children in that. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's not a catechetical approach to raising children. That is, a personal encounter engagement with with God via Scripture, so to speak, where mm-hmm. they're actually a part of it. And I think th- that's bringing – they're not just objects that we have to teach to come up with the right answer, so to speak, but they're learning – about themselves. I think they're learning about God in the process. And we can learn so much from them because they're learning things sure. that we don't know. Like our children are learning things that we do not know. They have a totally different life experience than we do. So for example, mm. I heard someone say that they think um, Moses was autistic. Uh-uh. Yeah, because he has trouble speaking right in public. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, like, people understand autism more. We have more information about things. And children and teenagers, they have more information about the world and science and all these things. So they're going to bring to the Bible what they know. And that's something that we don't have access to as adults, mm-hmm. right? So think about how much that's going to open up our interpretation and, and the stories of the Bible to right. make it that much richer. No, that, that's fascinating, Cindy. I mean, unfortunately, we're coming— near the close of our time here, and I feel like we're really hitting on some important things that people are going to want to be thinking about more and more. So maybe just can you tell us where people can find you out there in social media? I know you hang out there, and maybe if you're working on any other projects and any other things that you want to let the people know where they can find you. Yeah, I think the best thing to do is go to my blog. It's cindywongbrant.com. Um, and then I have all the resources that I have available there. And you can link to my social media from there. You can see my book and um, my Facebook group. Yeah, it's it's all on there. Any other projects you're working on at this point? I know you've, I mean, we mentioned Parenting Forward, but uh, anything else you're working on at this point? Well, Pete, you were in my Parenting Forward conference that I ran in September. Right. So I am hopefully planning the next one. Um, I'm not sure yet when that will be. But um, so in September, I ran a conference that hosted 20 plus um, people, parents, parenting experts, and people in the progressive faith niche. Or me, <laughs> non-experts like myself. Yeah, um, yeah. so like all of my work is focused on the intersection of parenting and progressive faith because I feel like there's a real vacuum that I'm trying to fill. So the conference is a conversation for that. Um, so that's, yeah, and I have a podcast, Parenting Forward Podcast, and we do the same things there. Great. So. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Cindy. It's been very great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. See ya. Bye. 
Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Bible for Normal People. And one thing we haven't talked about in, in a little bit is the fact that Pete and I are pretty active on social media, too. So we'd, we'd love to have conversations with you there. You can look us up, Pete or Jared, at Facebook. We have our own pages as well as on Twitter and Instagram. I, I for one, love arguing with anonymous people incessantly over things that don't really matter. Yeah, so Facebook, definitely the place yeah. for some of that. Twitter, Instagram, I think we have yeah, pictures Yeah, we do the Instagram thing, yeah. Books that we read and family, I mean, a lot of kids' 10, pictures. 10,000 pictures of my granddaughter. Yeah, daily. a lot of granddaughters for you, a lot of yeah, kids for me. Right, right. And that's where we do it. But, but check it out, because it, it is a different dimension, and part of what we want to do is build this community. We'd love to have conversations with you there as well. So check it out, and we'll see you uh, next time. See you, folks. Thanks, everyone. Oh, gosh. I can't even say this. This may take five minutes, Dave. Just hold on. Baby, rubber baby buggy bumpers. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. (laughs) Jared's sweating himself. Anyway, so. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money.